We care about our land more than somebody down in Ottawa. A land code puts the First Nation into the power of government. The biggest point for me is your ability to protect your reserves lands. Former chief of our community had the vision to sign uh, and the guts to sign that framework agreement. Business at the pace of business. The good thing about land code, we don't have to sell it. It sells itself. Leanne O'Brien from Aquasasi. Welcome. Thank you. Great to have you here. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thank you. What are you getting out of the conference so far? We're only about halfway through, but... Uh, Well, a lot. Yesterday, um, it was neat um, seeing it from a different perspective. You know, being in a uh, conference that's not completely law enforcement personnel. So, you hear the the good, the bad, the ugly, um, you know, areas for improvement. For those listeners maybe not familiar with Akwesasne, although you do have some national presence over the years, describe it for us. Well, it's a Mohawk territory. It's a Mohawk nation that, that straddles the St. Lawrence River. There is about 25,000 acres of land, 37 kilometers of waterway, and 57 islands. And then in that area, we have an international border. We have a provincial border of Ontario-Quebec. You have... Two police services, two First Nation police services, uh, the St. Regis Mohawk Tribal Police, which is our sister police service, and then we you have the Aquasasi Mohawk Police Service. Borders usually imply some real challenges. Absolutely. There's a lot of unique challenges due to the complexity of the jurisdiction, the area, um, the, the geographic, you know, uh, the nature, just that in itself creates challenges. King with you know various different law enforcement agencies, both U.S. and Canada, on a daily basis, um, creates some some issues. Yeah, and you were saying earlier that you didn't start out as your own self-administered police agency, right? What's some of the history to that? Well, there's a big, a long history. Uh, it's pretty intense. It starts back, I would say, in the '70s, the when the the territory was policed by the RCMP and some members from the community. Time went on, uh, changes were made, and um, it became a police service that was administered by the OPP and members from the community. That went on for a few years, and then in the late 80s, the community said, all right, we want our own police service. So they started the process, and then in 1991, AMPS became a self-administered, standalone First Nation police service. So, I mean, you weren't there at the time, obviously, but what would have been some of the community concerns that led them to wanting their own force as opposed to relying on somebody else? Well, there's been several incidents over the years in various areas, not just Aquasasne. There's the Oka crisis, the um, the shooting down near Six Nations. But I think, I think the Oka crisis probably did have a lot to do with it, as well as the community went through their own crisis in the 90s. There was a basically a civil war that went on within the community. So, you know, these concerns are the same concerns that other First Nation communities have across Canada to have their own people from the community police the community. And, you know, it's there's pros and cons, more pros than cons, I would say, um, you know, to have a, an Indigenous person policing in an Indigenous community. There's a different feel to it. There's, you know, there's a different um, understanding uh, when you see a First Nation police officer policing their own community, you, it feels different. I just think it's it's better overall. They have a lower rate of use of force, you know, for instance. Not very often 
where you hear of, you know, a use of force of being used um, in an incident. And I think it's because we have that relation within, with, with each other, you know, whether it be within the community, a community member to another community member, or just an Indigenous person to another Indigenous person. So trust is a huge factor? Trust is absolutely um, a huge factor. I was looking on, on your website or the Police Commission website, and I know it mentions prevention as being a key component of policing. Is that you have some specific programs on prevention? Yes. So we have um, a community service officer whose full-time job is to create, develop, co-develop programs within the community with other programs in the community, such as the Aquasasne Family Children Services, the Family Wellness Program, and other law enforcement agencies, such as the St. Regis Mohawk Tribal Police. That also brings in other officers as well to participate in these events and just to build that relationship and enhance the trust within the community. So I'm guessing some delegates here are trying to get some time with you to find out what you're doing and how the community did it. Yeah. Do you want to share some stories around that? Yeah. I'm Like I said, um, you know, people ask me for some tips on how how to get started and how to to start their own self-administered police service. And I think the first step would be to secure sustainable funding. You know, that's your first step. Then, you know, reach out to somebody who's done it. Reach out to a service such as the Aquasasi Mohawk Police Service. Well, there's other, there's nine other, you know, standalone First Nation services in Ontario that we've all done it. So once you secure your funding, I would say reach out to the community and involve the community right from the initial start. Bring them into the discussions on how do they see policing? What do they want? What do they need? And then take a look at the community and see what you have what you need to sustain this, um, your police service, you know, whether, you know, resources you have, um, um, recruitment strategies, another huge piece that I would definitely put a lot of effort into, um, maybe consider outsourcing that to a professional. And then once you do that and you have your resources and you have a plan on how to sustain it, you know, make sure that you build the cultural component. Back in my day as a kid growing up, People would ask us what we want to do, and usually it would be, well, I'd like to be a teacher, I'd like to be a police officer or a fireman. Do you have kids coming up to you, youth in the community, saying, is this something I could do someday? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, Quite frequently, I'll have somebody reach out to me and saying, you know, do you have a few minutes? You know, my daughter or my niece or, you know, they really want to be a police officer. They They want to meet you. So they'll come in and, you know, hang out with me and I'll get them a tour of the station and, um, you know, show them, you know, where we work and all our, you know, all the fun things that we have and let them try on my vest. <laughs> They'd love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any big changes planned for the police service or, or are you running, you know, pretty smoothly now? And We are running fairly smoothly now, but the way we see the future of AMPS going is a more cultural, um, more community-centered policing. So, we're gonna re- we're gonna increase our capacity um, so that we're gonna have more officers and more resources because right now we're like any police service we're pretty short staffed so it's it's kind of hard to be proactive and you know be out there and and not be on you know not be investigating something not be reacting to something but um, we are hoping to hire 
quite a few officers over the next year or so. So, and we're just changing our policing model and we're going to be doing it slowly because there's nothing more that police officers hate than change. (laughs) So we realize that. So we're going to be, like I said, taking a more community centered policing approach. And what I hope is, you know, maybe get more into the restorative justice aspect of policing. You know, the jails aren't they're still being overpopulated by Indigenous people. And we're in a crisis, you know, and for mental health, for addictions, for, and that's affecting all communities, not just our community. It's affecting, you know, non-Indigenous communities as well. So to bring that restorative justice into play and to bring those practices into play where we can heal the offender, the victim, and the community, that's kind of what I would like to see in the future. And I I know it's going to take time. Yeah, it seems like demands are growing on on police. I mean, back in the day, it was, okay, learn the criminal code, learn procedures, what are the bylaws, what are the processes, but now it's, okay, you have to be knowledgeable about mental health, mental health checks, and so many other things. Is it getting harder to cope with all the increasing demands on you? Yeah, I would say yes, Uh, but, you know, that's life change is inevitable in, in any profession, and I think you really need to make it a priority to keep up with the change, to keep up with the trends, to keep up with the the needs of your community. We have a responsibility and public safety is a shared responsibility. That's a good note to leave it on. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thank you. Stay tuned as we bring you further coverage from the National Conference on the Enforcement of First Nation Laws. Look for updated social media links and website content. I'll put a link in the show notes to the conference website in particular, where you'll find a wealth of resource materials and follow-up information. It's all about finding solutions and taking real steps to restoring Indigenous justice systems. Thank you for continuing to support the Land Decolonized podcast and for sharing it with friends and colleagues. I'm Richard Perry.